We are back. We're going to do a little bit of science here uh, at the top of the show and then probably close out with uh, something from, well, items from the miscellaneous file. But this one caught my attention from New Scientist magazine. It sounds like an onion headline, but it's not. It's for real. The headline was, The Pet Shop Never Mentioned Venom. I guess I guess this comes out of the oops file. Um, apparently, Brian Fry, a researcher at the University of Melbourne in Australia took a look at pet lizards. Now, people are often bit, bitten by their pet lizard, and they sometimes uh, have a lot of painful swelling and prolonged bleeding. It's always been assumed this was become this was from infection caused by bacteria in the, the, mouth, the mouths of lizards. Um, but it turns out that many lizards, including some that are common pets, are actually venomous. Furthermore, the finding is rewriting the evolutionary family tree of lizards and snakes. Brian Fry uh, said, and I'll see if I can do this in an Australian accent, to find the classic rattlesnake toxin in the bearded dragon, a hugely popular pet, was a huge surprise. Now, your standard herpetologic text will tell you that there are two known poisonous lizards, the Gila monster and Mexican beaded lizards. Um, it was thought these lizards evolved the ability to produce venom independently of snakes. However, the folks down in Australia have found out that the monitor lizards and the iguanians, which includes iguanas and chameleons, are also venomous. Evidently, they share no less than nine of the toxins produced by poisonous snakes, but make others also that haven't been identified yet. The implication here is that, is that venomous lizards and snakes are descended from a common ancestor that uh, dates back to approximately 200 million years ago. New Scientist magazine asked, how could venom production in lizards have been overlooked for so long? Brian Fry suggested that blaming bacteria had just become dogma. The Komodo dragon, the famous largest lizard in the world, um, are large monitor lizards. Uh, they eat carrion. Their mouths are blooming with bacteria. And it was just thought of to be a classic red herring. They just blamed it on the bacteria in the mouth. On, on the bright side of all this, the toxins produced by these lizards might kill their usual prey, but they're really you know, much less potent and much less noticeable um, when, when people are bitten. And according to Scientific American... Studies done on, at Wake Forest University on sleep-deprived monkeys, and I do have to feel sorry for the animals that are used in research, but it, it, does, it does help we humans. A chemical called CX-717 was given to 11 monkeys after keeping them awake for 30 to 36 hours, shades of medical residency. Um, after receiving the compound, the sleep-deprived animals performed normally at memory tasks requiring them to pick out images matching one they'd seen before. And perhaps even more interestingly, the chemical boosted the performance of rested monkeys by 15%. It hasn't been named yet, but uh, you know, if this one pans out in human studies, I'm sure you'll be seeing this in pharmacies uh, near you in the um, perhaps not-so-distant future. And speaking of uh, pharmacologically active or psychoactive substances, um, it was noted not too long ago, in the Los Angeles Times, that Philip Morris and other tobacco companies had produced a nicotine inhaling system like a dozen years ago, but it remains uh, on, on the shelf. 
Despite the fact that this will be able to deliver the, the, the drug that smokers desire, nicotine, without all the, the tars and carcinogens that go along with conventional cigarette smoke, and, and it seems clear to me, well, the LA Times is speculating as to why this is stalled, it seems clear to me that, that, uh, that tobacco has been grandfathered in to American society and uh, has resisted all the lawsuit attempts against it. But if, if you bring out a new product that, uh, you know, is basically under, under the category of FDA regulation, then you're going to be, re you know, you're going to be responsible for all the lawsuits. I don't expect this will ever hit the market, even though in terms of health effects, uh, you know, I mean, it isn't, it isn't the nicotine in cigarettes that, that causes cancer. It's the other stuff in the smoke. So this, this would actually be a, uh, a safer delivery system, but I don't think Philip Morris or RJR, RJR or anybody else is going to come out with it. Um, although, you know, in a way, I hope they do, because it would be a safer drug. From the field of archaeology, we have the following. Uh, archaeologists in China have found 4,000-year-old noodles. <laughs> Proof, they say, that uh, it was their ancestors, these are Chinese researchers, not Italians or Arabs, who invented pasta. The petrified noodles were found in an overturned sealed bowl in a dig near the Yellow River in northwestern China. The noodles were made from ground millet seeds instead of wheat. They date to about 2000 BC. Now, the Chinese, the Arabs, and the Italians have all claimed that they invented noodles, and the Chinese contended that it was Marco Polo brought them home after encountering them on his travels to China. The Chinese Academy of Science in, in Beijing says the new discovery now settles the argument. This is the earliest empirical evidence of noodles ever found, said researcher Lu Huai Huan. This isn't really a scientific article unless you're dealing with the science of stupidity, but the Wall Street Journal noted that as soon as gas prices began falling last month, uh, the sales of gas-guzzling SUVs began creeping back up. 20% of new car buyers now say they're considering an SUV up from 14% in early September. All right, let's do some miscellaneous items. Franz mentioned some of the great guests we've had here on KDVS uh, in the past couple of years. One we've tried to get but so far have not succeeded with is former President Jimmy Carter. Kind of strange for me to want Carter. When I was a student here at UC Davis, I actually wound up working for Jerry Ford, even though I thought Jerry Ford was kind of a stiff, because I really didn't care for Carter's brand of Southern, uh, you know, uh, wearing your Christianity on your sleeve uh, politics. Carter, of course, disappointed all of the, uh, the fundamentalists in the South, who then jumped ship to the Republican Party. In his latest book, Our Endangered Values, the former president uh, has been very frank about noting that he's concerned about the lines being increasingly blurred between church and state, and that uh, a rigid Christian fundamentalism is exerting an unhealthy influence on the foreign and domestic affairs of government, according to Jimmy Carter. Former President Carter was, of course, always personally opposed to abortion, but... Um, uh, finds fault with the current extremists on, on that issue. Um, he criticizes many fervent anti-abortion activists who have no concern for the babies after they're born and who not coincidentally are the least likely to support benevolent programs that they consider socialistic. Jimmy Carter is also critical of, uh, of America losing its, its moral high ground in the eyes of the world by having a belligerent foreign policy, its preemptive invasion of Iraq, and Abandonment of the Geneva Conventions on the Treatment of Prisoners are, 
are cited by him in that book. We are gonna we're gonna keep working. I'm not optimistic. We're gonna keep working on it. We would we would dearly love to be able to speak to uh, former President Jimmy Carter on this program. So you know, cross our fingers. And uh, night before last, I had a chance to see the biopic titled, not surprisingly, Capote. I know a lot of you out there listening have had a chance to see it and a lot of you are interested in it. And by all means, I want to encourage you to see this uh, really extraordinarily well done motion picture. And in the current Vanity Affair, which we mentioned at the top of the program, uh, Dominic Dunn sounded off a bit on, on, on Truman Capote. And he's always an interesting, uh, interesting writer. It was, uh, interestingly, uh, as, as reality follows fiction, interesting to note that uh, Robert Blake, actor Robert Blake, really really put himself on the acting map in 1966 with his performance as the killer Perry Smith in the, uh, in the movie version of uh, Capote's In Cold Blood. I remember so well Truman Capote on the talk show circuit in the 1960s uh, on his own personal crusade against um, capital punishment. Uh, and debate, which is which is still with us. Uh, Dominic Dunn uh, spoke to, to Blake at his recent uh, civil trial and noted that he was really couldn't stop talking about Capote. Uh, Dominic Dunn said, "I haven't enjoyed a movie so much in a long time." That that's that's something I would echo. As much as I liked uh, "Good Night" and "Good Luck," this this is really a truly extraordinary bit of, uh, of filmmaking. And with all, with all the pathetic excuse for actors and actresses we have, uh, you know, so prominent in the world today, seeing what Philip Seymour Hoffman does as Capote, it's, it's really, it's a phenomenon. Speaking of truth being stranger than fiction, of course, on this program, we lampooned uh, the um, Scott Peterson trial by, you know, bringing on our version of O.J. Simpson last year. But, uh, of course, the Robert Blake civil trial did prompt some reporters to go out and get a comment from the aforementioned O.J. Reached by the Associated Press, O.J. Simpson questioned the system that allowed both celebrity defendants to be found liable for murder after being acquitted in criminal court. Quote, I don't get how anyone can be found not guilty of a murder and then be found responsible for it in any way, shape, or form, uh, said Simpson in a phone interview from his Florida home. I love to hear how that's not double jeopardy. Our, our heart is not bleeding for O.J. Simpson on this one, or for that matter, Robert Blake. Also from the celebrity misbehaving file, we have the following. Russell Crowe is apparently available to sing at Christmas parties, said World Entertainment News Network. The actor will perform with or without his rock band, 30-odd foot of grunts, for $900,000. Oh, plus travel, five-star hotel accommodations, and expenses. Because his schedule is reportedly a beast, Crow's spokesman said reservations should be made as soon as possible. Please, don't everyone rush out and tie up the phone lines with this one. You know, just about every week for this program, we, we peruse uh, The Economist, uh, we peruse New Scientist magazine, we obviously use The Week, and a new one we may, uh, may incorporate is Radar, a rather smart-ass magazine that's just come on uh, onto the scene of late. Keeping with the Russell Crowe item, we did like their, uh, their article, Stars for Sale, where they listed the actual prices celebrities will charge you to make an appearance at your party. Apparently, a 20-minute ap- appearance at your, at your venue by Paris Hilton will set you back $200,000. Sean 
Puff Daddy or Puff Diddy or whoever the hell he calls himself these days uh, will make a nightclub uh, appearance for you for 100000 And if these prices are too steep for you, we suggest you go to what Radar describes as the Celebrity Bargain Bin. You apparently can pick up an appearance by Nicole Richie for as low as $5,000. Five dollars to $10,000 is her usual range. And if you're interested in hiring Anna Nicole Smith, keep in mind that you could have gotten her for $15,000 uh, per appearance not so long ago, but now that she's taken some weight off, she's gone up to $30,000. Apparently her fee is inversely proportional to her weight. And you do have to be careful with Anna Nicole because apparently an Oscar party in Sydney, Australia uh, for NW Magazine agreed to fly her out for sixty grand, but she missed the flight, then demanded $12,000 more to ensure that she'd be on the next one. Not only did Smith require a penthouse, a butler, and a chef on call 24 hours a day and a suite for her four-person entourage when she arrived, she insisted on a third suite for her lawyer, stylist, and two friends. So you think you're getting a bargain with Anna Nicole Smith? Just may not turn out to be as, you know, good a deal as you thought. We've had a lighthearted show today, but on next week's uh, program, we're going to take on a very serious topic, that of the possible impending pandemic of avian flu. Tune in again next week for that. Our thanks again to Franz Senecal, Chuck Monroe, Andy Fell, and Eileen Proctor. And what better way to bridge the gap between public affairs and a music program as we're doing at this moment than to bring you a choice selection of Russell Crowe's band, 30-odd foot of grunts. And as you listen, you can make the decision of whether you think you want to hire him for $900,000 a pop. I'm not sure it's going to be that hard of a decision, but give it a listen. I can't tell if I want to know what's on your mind. Should I just go It's a long way down From here This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm your host, Douglas Everett, and this has been Radio Parallax. Now, stay tuned for Todd to follow with Hometown Atrocities. You know those are the ways of speaking Words are just the deep end